what is up my dudes welcome to olympia oddities i'm trista and i'm steven and before we get into today's episode we wanted to kick off our special spooky season coverage by sharing something weird and a little terrifying that happened to us this is the plan for the next few episodes throughout October, and while this story happened to both of us, we're going to take turns sharing some stories that happened to us separately, because I think that that would be really fun. It is going to be fun. I think I think it's going to be a fun time. It'll be a fun time. So, our first weird personal spooky story probably happened about, what, two to three months ago? Yeah, roughly. Just about... So basically, Steven was coming to pick me up after he got off work, except for his car broke down. But luckily, you broke down right next to a place where, like, one of my friends from high school lived. So, like, you were broken down in the middle of nowhere, which is terrifying. But at least it ended up being next to someone that I was like, oh, okay, they're not going to, like, shoot us. for." <laughs> and they had a super sweet puppy. Yeah, and they did have a puppy. And that honestly made, like, your car being broken down worth it. Oh, yeah. Always. Shout out to Alex. Thank you for letting me pet your puppy. <laughs> I really, really honestly did make that night, like, a so much better. better. Holy crap, that sucked. Yeah, so we were there, and we waited for the tow truck to come pick up your car, and then we took my car, and we were headed on Case Road, headed south, and, all like, everything's normal. We're just driving and, like, listening to music and talking, and everything's all good and fine, and then all of a sudden, we come across this truck that is, like, stopped, or was he going, like, really slow, or was he just stopped? I think he was By just stopped. By that point, he was just, like, yeah, he was driving really slow, and then, like, you he, he just see his brakes come on, and then he just, like, yeah, basically comes to a dead stop in front of you, and we're like, what the hell? Yeah, I was like, what is this guy gonna do? And all of a sudden, his rear view lights come on, and I was like, oh, maybe he, like, blew past the driveway that he was trying to turn into. Still a stupid thing to do, but, like, I don't know, I was trying to, like, make make, make it make sense in my brain. Uh, and then all of a sudden he starts backing up towards us, but not just like normal backing up. So I throw my car into reverse because I'm like, oh, fuck no, I'm not getting my car ruined. And we back up and then he like backs up a little bit more towards us. I back up again. I like flip a UE, which I hate doing. And then we drove for a little bit, ended up in a restaurant parking lot. I kind of like collected myself. And then all of a sudden I was like, you know what? That was dangerous as hell and like super reckless of that guy. And I was like, I feel like we should go back and follow him and make sure that like nothing happens again. And we go and he's just like all over the road. He's going like over the middle lane, over the side lane. Like it was insane. He was just drifting and stuff. And we got closer and he like slowed down to look at a car on the side of the road or something like that. And we saw that he had a bunch of a uh, like. <laughs> really weird shit written all over like every single window of his truck pretty much just had, had a piece of paper in it or something and like it was like multiple pieces of paper just i was like what in the world is going on here was like writing that we couldn't read so we were like um we should probably call somebody about this so we called it in and he's still like all over the road and stuff and then finally he slows down to look at something again and a car comes up behind us who has, like, no idea what we've been behind for, like, the past five miles. And they pass him and, like, they did it safely. And I see that he's, like, distracted looking at something. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go around him now. So we go around him. And then I was like, I feel like we should wait at the end of this road in that little gravel lot. You know, because it, it's basically a left turn or a right turn there. <laughs> you can't really do anything other than that. And we are like, we kind of need to, like, let them know on the phone which way he goes. So we waited there. And then, like, right at the end. Like, right when he was pulling to the stop sign there, like, the cop, like, 
pulled in. It was honestly like kind of like a movie moment where we were like, yes. Oh yeah, it was perfectly timed. It <laughs> like, was so smooth too. Like he just came right and just like butter. And I wouldn't have called it in if he hadn't been so like I was really afraid that he was gonna hurt someone, dude. I mean the fact that he tried to crash into us on purpose, that's unhinged. So uh yeah, and then basically we talked to the cop later and they told us that he was super drunk, that he had a bunch of like nonsense Oh my god, that scared the hell out of me. Something just fell over and I thought it was like a ghost or something. I was like, we're getting spooky content. (laughs) Sorry, that's why I got all quiet. I was like, speak to us. Um, (laughs) But yeah, no, he had just like a a bunch of writing that didn't make sense all over his car. Just stating that I am a sovereign citizen. I am traveling. Yeah, because we got a call back from the the police officer that we called. And he had said... um, yeah, he was under the influence and, you know, he didn't want to give any idea or anything about it. And I was like, oh, sovereign citizen? He's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of funny you know, <laughs> in a sad way. But yeah, that was absolutely terrifying. And I absolutely hope that I'm never involved in another weird road rage incident. I didn't even do anything wrong. Every time I tell no. someone the story, they're like, were you speeding? Did you come up on him fast? And I'm like, no, I was just going the speed limit down the road and he was just go in a turtle's crawl and then decided he wanted to fuck up my day <laughs> i was about to say i'm the motorhead of the two yeah i'm like a really safe and like courteous driver i've been pulled over like twice and i've never gotten a ticket praise dale raise hail oh my god <laughs> so now for today's episode the other day i was browsing reddit and found this story and it was one of those ones where i instantly knew that we had to do an episode on it this story seriously has everything Bootlegging, jailbreaks, train commandeering, outlaws, a murder mystery, fake identities, and modern forensic technology helping to solve unsolved mysteries. Today, we'll be telling you the story of Joseph Henry Loveless, outlaw, bootlegger, and possible murderer. This sounds amazing. So, yeah, I'm already synced in. Right? It has big, like, Red Dead Redemption energy. <laughs> it really does. You know I love me a good cowboy story. Oh, yeah. I love it. Oh, yeah. Here we go. So, Joseph Henry Loveless was born on December 3rd, 1870, to his parents, Sarah Jane Scriggins and Joseph Jackson Scriggins. He was born in Payson, in what was then called Utah Territory. His mother, Sarah, had been from Massachusetts, while his father, Joseph, was from Indiana. His parents were early pioneers in the Latter-day Saints movement, and that's how the family ended up in Utah Territory. In 1899, Loveless married a woman named Harriet Jane Savage. They married in Salt Lake City, Utah, and soon had a daughter together. This marriage didn't last long, though, and by 1904, the couple had divorced. The DNA Doe Project was able to find the cause of divorce by searching newspaper reports and court proceedings. They found that Harriet had filed for divorce on the grounds of desertion and failure to provide for her and their daughter. He kind of went out to get a pack of cigarettes and never came back on him. Not even milk. He just went out for a pack of smokes. <laughs> just the way you described it just he just, he just left for a pack as well he wasn't even getting anything like for the family he just went out for himself mm-hmm. like, he made it real clear like uh, i'm gonna get some smokes i probably won't be back later <laughs> by august of 1905 loveless had moved to idaho and was already married to another woman his bride agnes octavia caldwell and loveless had four children spanning from 1906 to 1913 In 1914, Loveless was arrested for bootlegging twice, once in March and again in December. 
After his December arrest, he was able to escape the jail by sawing through the bars. This would become a reoccurring event in Lovelace's life. Newspaper articles from the time say that in 1916, a man who is now thought to be Lovelace was able to somehow stop a train that was taking him to jail. He attempted to escape, but was recaptured. He was sent to jail again, but managed to escape that jail too. Excuse me, is this just John Marston? Are we just reading, like, rock star written stories that never made it into Red Dead Redemption? How do you, as a criminal on a train, get that train to stop? There's so many, like, it's such an old-timey story that it's it's hard to find the details, but I really, really wish I knew how. Like, all I have going on in my head right now is this man, like, running back and forth on the train, just shouting, stop, 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 like a maniac. Until, until they're finally just like, all right, guys, stop the dang train. This guy sounds pretty serious. <laughs> he must be seeing something that we're not seeing. Oh, William Shatner, Bigfoot on the on the on the wing of the plane moment. A final destination, William Shatner thing on the wing of the plane. Red Dead Redemption moment. This is this is a lot going on. Okay, so our story takes a, a little bit of a turn here. So on May fifth, nineteen sixteen, Lovelace's wife Agnes Caldwell Lovelace was discovered to have been murdered with an axe. At least two of her children had been present during the time of her murder, and newspapers around the area spread that she had been murdered by a man named Charles Smith. Some of these newspaper reports declared that the murderer had been Agnes's husband. On May 11th, Lovelace was arrested for Agnes's murder under the fake name Walter Currens. With Lovelace in jail, friends and family of Agnes attended her funeral. At her funeral, it's claimed that one of the kids said, Papa never stayed in jail very long. And he'll soon be out. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, that kid knows that their dad's like... A badass. <laughs> and like the old school definition of the word and not the modern one that we use. And right they were about their dad because on May 18th, 1916, Loveless once again broke out of jail. This time he had hidden a saw blade in his shoe and he used it to cut through the bars and wiggle his way to freedom. But this time, Loveless disappeared without a trace. So that's why they do those checks now on inmates. They had he the dude had a saw blade in his shoe. Yeah, you see that just easy. Not, were they just not checking anybody for anything? Just like at the very least, just like their clothes and whatnot. Like what in the world? Too this, much work. This this shows how much I know about like early nineteen hundreds like inmate taking. I guess you could call it. You're expecting a a nineteen hundred sheriff to pat a man down before he puts him in jail they're like no you like you can just you brought, you came here with a horse you take the horse in the cell with you boys like they just didn't care wow they really did i it assume just like, i don't know that's what it sounds like I'm because really, he was able yeah. to do this so many times over how do you keep like you'd think that like oh this is the guy who's known for hiding things in his shoe and then breaking out of jail with them maybe we should like i don't know have him take off his shoes yeah, but instead, nah, it's just like the old Clint Eastwood movie, old Spaghetti Western. They just throw them in the jail. They just take their guns and throw them in the jail. They ain't checking nothing else. I think they like the chase. <laughs> <laughs> like, they just kept letting them get out so they could track them down again. <laughs> Some sort of sick game. Did you hear he got out again? Yeah. He did. All right, fellas, let's get the posse together. Let's go get him. Get a couple cold ones. Let's go get our boy. <laughs> At the end of the day, they throw him in jail. They give him a beer, too. There's a, it was fun, wasn't it? Yeah, plan on doing it next Wednesday. All right, I'll see you then. 
Seven. 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 <laughs> <laughs> In 1979, a family was searching for arrowheads in Buffalo Cave near Du Bois, Idaho, when they made a ghastly discovery. They found a burlap sack containing human remains. Ooh. One of my worst nightmares. Yeah, that's... Anytime I see a garbage bag on the side of the... And no ecology crew, I'm like... When I'm geocaching somewhere and I just see, like, a sleeping bag or I'm, like, hiking by myself and I see, like, a bag or something, I'm just like, nope. No bueno. I'm leaving that for some other hiker to discover. No bueno. Because I do not ever want to be, hiker discovers body on the news. Like, that's a headline that I never wish to achieve in my life. Never. No. The remains were of a headless torso. In 1991, a girl found a mummified hand in that same cave, which prompted investigators to search the cave more intensely. You think that after the first headless torso was found, they'd be like, we should probably see if his arms are like in the cave. But they were just like, oh, it's okay. Oh, a head. Add that to the collection. No head, though. Oh, no head. Oh, it was just the torso. My bad. I. <laughs> so what? No head? Oh, God. Sorry. I knew it was going to come at some point in this episode. And I just, it was best to just get it out of the way. <laughs> uh, the searches turned up both legs and another arm. The head still remained missing. Forensic researchers estimated that the man was of European descent and that he was probably around 40 years old at the time of his death. They assumed that the body had probably been there for six months to five years. They also didn't think that it would be possible to identify the remains due to the missing head. Wait, 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 wait. Six months to five years? That's a gap, my guy. That is kind of a giant gap. That's a gap. But I mean, body was outside, right? True, and in a bag inside a cave, so you'd imagine it'd be kind of, like, dry and, like, I don't know. Yeah, it wasn't a bag. Yeah, okay, I could, I, I guess, like, I, just, I, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, that's just weird. You know, I have this thing for, like, I have a fascination with decomposition, and, like, I would love to go to the body farm, and, like, I would also like to, at some point, maybe if I have, like, the guts for it, no pun intended. I feel stupid for that. Uh, I would like to witness an autopsy, like go to like a, a proper like, you know, learning facility, college, whatever, and actually like to witness that. But yeah, that I just feel like that's a strange. But I, I don't know. I guess I kind of get it. What do I know about <laughs> forensics and decomposition? Local authorities began working with Idaho State University. And over the years, anthropology students and staff all helped work on the case. Experts from the Smithsonian Institute and the FBI were called in to help, but it seemed like the case was going nowhere. They hadn't found any other remains or the body's head, so they feared that they would still be unable to identify them. In 2019, Idaho State University anthropologists Samantha Blatt and Amy Michael and the Clark County Police sought the help of the DNA Doe Project. For those not in the know, the DNA Doe Project... Sorry, I just accidentally rhymed and I didn't realize that I wrote that until I said it. <laughs> For those not in the know, the DNA Doe Project is a nonprofit organization that works to identify remains using the help of forensic genealogy. They're a great organization that does some really important, tough work. And they were actually the organization that I set up to take donations for for my birthday this year. So you might recognize the name because of that. Oh, I do remember that, actually. Yeah. They were able to construct a genealogical tree for the unidentified remains. The tree ended up being absolutely massive thanks to one of Lovelace's grandpas, who'd been a polygamist with four wives. Yee. The tree ended up having hundreds of cousins and other relatives. Oof. Getting around, sir. You need to calm down. 
Joseph Lovelace became a possible candidate after it was discovered that his gravestone was a cenotaph, meaning an empty grave with just a headstone marking it. That's what I want. And then I want my body just... Well, you'll find out. (laughs) I just want a headstone that just says, exhume at own risk. They were able to locate a grandson of Lovelace's who was 87 years old and living in California. He agreed to take the DNA test and they were able to confirm what they had thought. The dismembered remains found in the cave had once been Joseph Henry Lovelace. 14 volunteer genealogists had put in over 2,000 hours on the case over a span of 12 weeks and all their hard work had paid off. Hey, we got our guy. Isn't that crazy that they were able to find him? 87. That's, That's no insane, spring chicken. No, you know what I mean? They're all. very lucky that they were able to find him. Seriously. Though the mystery of who the remains ha- had been was solved, there's still one very big unanswered question. How did Joseph Lovelace end up dead in the cave? Researchers believe that he died in 1916 at age 46. His remains had been in the cave way longer than the estimated six months to five years. That's what I'm saying. And had actually been there as long as 63 years. I, that's what I'm saying. It's unknown who killed him and dismembered his body before hiding it in the cave. Some people theorize that it may have been a member, a family member of Agnes, the wife he had killed with an axe, killing him for revenge. See, I'm going back to like what I feel like I know about forensic well not necessarily forensics but decomposition and just bodies in general i knew i was i was like dude dude six to six months to five years come on yeah that's a bit far off from 63 like do you think all bodies look like what like when you go to a funeral every time like they're just gonna look that pristine when you come back like six months to five years that oh how you doing jim i'm gonna head out now uh, what do you think about the theory that it was one of the wife that he murdered family members killing him? I like it. I don't know if yeah, it fully makes I sense, see but, that, but I mean, it has a good revenge plot to it. It does have a good revenge plot to it. It does. It really does. Uh, thank you for listening to another episode of Olympia Oddities. If you want to support the podcast, you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Olympia Oddities Podcast. Tell a friend about us or leave us a positive review. I'm Trista, and you can find my personal Instagram at Saloon Ghost. I'm Steven. You can find me at Moldy Lunchbox. Okay, fine. It's at the Steven Ramirez. Uh, if you want to submit one of your own spooky stories, a cryptid sighting, or like a ghost tale that you have, you can DM us on there or send us an email at olympiaoddities at gmail.com. And don't forget that we're having a live show next year at Pacific Northwest True Crime Fest, which will be on October. 8th and 9th i believe of 2022 i'm happy i'm excited i'm nervous i'm pooping my pants about it and that's a year away yeah all of the above to all of that but it's gonna be a lot of fun and we're gonna have like a blast it's gonna be so fun to meet you guys and get to like just put on a great live show for you guys i'm really really excited and it's and I'm if any of you of walk up to it. us, we will be more than happy to say hello. We may and or may not have a like a button or a goodie for you or whatever. And we'll definitely have new pants. New pants? We're pooping right now. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Sorry. Yeah, we will <laughs> change ourselves before we meet you guys. All right. Until next time, friends. <laughs>